Hello and welcome to the Sports Blog New York podcast. Pete Kennedy, John Lucas Duffy, and Frank Villani here. This is intro number two for us that you're hearing first, but we actually are recording this after we've done the whole pod because, you know, we're in the zone. We're talking about the finals. We're talking about the conference finals, the Rockets, the Celtics, Cavs, Warriors. You know how it is. And all of a sudden, we finish up. We're feeling good. Had a good good talk about the NBA. And we sign off the pod. And we look at Twitter. And our good pal, Frank Villani, goes, Holy hell, did you guys see this? Brian Colangelo has been using burner accounts to trash 76ers players, coaches, front office members, the Raptors, Masai Ujiri. Crazy stuff. Dropped by TheRinger.com. Writer Ben uh, Diedrich, I think I said that right. And it is absolutely wild. So John Lucas Duffy, Frank Villani with me, Sports Blog New York Podcast. We didn't want to leave you guys in the dark on this in case you were curious. It happened while we were recording, but now we're here, coming back, flipping around the intro to talk about it. So Duff, gut check reaction. What the hell is going on with Brian Colangelo and his burner accounts? I'm still in disbelief. I, I, I just, my first reaction was, holy shit. I think I said that about 10 times before... I even started reading the article, and uh, I'm just astonished after after reading what I've read. I I can't believe how petty how petty such someone could be. Like for someone, we talk a lot about how we like how people in the NBA are petty and things like that. But when you're calling Sam Hinkie a pathological egomaniac on your burner accounts, and you you say uh, you know Colangelo fixed it. You know, Hinky did nothing. Colangelo had to clean up his mess. He got great pieces but couldn't make the puzzle work. And uh, I have no respect for Hinky's martyrdom because uh, it, it is orchestrated by him behind the curtains via all the bloggers he cultivated with leaks. I mean, this is just a hateful little man who is so, so disgusted, maybe even with himself, that he is just like that people don't appreciate him. And I think he's very self-conscious about the fact that he took Andrea Bagnarni with the first overall pick as he should be. And he was even bed- being petty towards his former employer and his replacement specifically, Masai Ujiri, who is one of the most well-respected front office people in all of basketball, just not only for his basketball abilities, but for what he does with charitable organizations and uh, his home continent of Africa. And it's really I'm at a loss for words for how uninspired I was feeling about the NBA due to Cavs Warriors four. And you'll hear about that later. This has really brought me back into it. I'm really excited. It's the absolute wrong word because this is an awful story. It's uh, I'm intrigued by it. And I've, I I need to know as much as possible as, as soon as possible. It's captivating. And a quick top line description of what went down. Uh, basically there was an anonymous tip that used different data sourcing tools uh, he worked in artificial intelligence. He gave an anonymous tip to the ringer, basically stating that there's about five accounts that have these very weird patterns and tendencies, whether it be in linguistics or who they follow, who, what they tweet about, all praising Brian Colangelo, bashing the likes of Joel Embiid, Mark Fultz, Sam Hinkie, amongst many others. And, and, and slowly but surely, the ringer did their research, and they released it now uh, on the day in between the finals and the conference finals, maybe strategic, Maybe just when the story was finally complete, I don't know that yet, but we didn't want to come on here and just talk about the finals after this came out, and you guys are curious, 
and you're not going to hear nothing about it. So, Frank, you're the one who broke it to me and Duff when we finished the pod. You saw it first. What was your gut check reaction on this? I, I like, didn't believe it at first. Like, how many people do you have to see get burned with fake social media and stuff like that before you just, like, give up on it yourself? It's so dumb. It's so dumb to do. Like... I mean, I guess he did it because he was saying stuff that he didn't want to personally get behind, especially the stuff where he's releasing, like, uh, undisclosed medical reports and things of that nature. But, like, I just don't know how you can think you're going to get away with that nowadays. Even if you have gotten it away with it, have gotten away with it in the past, like, is it is it worth it? Like, it, there's no way it's worth it, right? Like, he's is he going to lose his job? Yes, hundred percent has to right. Like how uh, releasing Jalil so Okafor's non-public medical records, I'm pretty sure is a crime because of like Hippocratic oath things. So I don't know how deep that'll go if Okafor feels that these things have wronged him, and clearly the general manager had a pretty hateful bias against him. Then he, I don't know. I don't know how this stuff works because we've never seen anything like it, but. I wouldn't be surprised that the Sixers are now opened up to some sort of some sort of lawful action to be taken against them by Joel Okafor. And the the owners of the Philadelphia 76ers have been now following this obviously since it's broken out and they're seeing Joel Embiid not holding back one bit. Obviously Joel Embiid was um a point of attack for Colangelo through some of these burner account tweets, but Joel Embiid has now tweeted bruh and now tweeted Sam Hinkie is smarter and better than Brian Colangelo adding these burner accounts. You, like just they're taking the side of the players here. They're not going to be taking the side of um a GM who basically betrayed the organization. It's just very unlikely for that to be the case. I I presume he'd be resigned. He he's either going to resign or be fired. By the time this podcast is out, if I really, really had a guess, it is really unmarked territory here. Even the Kevin Durant thing, it was bickering. It was debating. This is like maniacal and twisted, and it's been going on since 2016. The tweets from these burner accounts are linked back to 2016, so it's been going on for a long time. And the Ringer, shout out to them, have held this in secret until they had enough information to put it out there. So it's really a untapped water, and uh, we don't know how it's going to play out. Obviously, we're just naturally reacting to it here, and you're going to hear some more talk on actual basketball later. But this is just something we haven't seen, I don't think, ever before. This is now now that it's Cavs-Warriors 4, and everyone is kind of pointing to the Warriors and anointing them champions. Uh, th- this is now the biggest basketball story in the NBA for me. Personally, Um. Uh, we've never seen anything like this. We've, we, I mean, we've seen social media mishaps with, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, stuff like that comes to mind. But th- this is an executive with multiple burner accounts talking all types of junk about his own players, the man he replaced, the man who replaced him in Toronto, leadership of the organization, the fans who support the organization and for like tomorrow, this dude does not have a job. You're hearing this podcast. He's probably fired. Well, now that you say that, let me uh, give you a little shams bomb that I just see here. 
Um, obviously, we know Shams, the Yahoo reporter. He's a Woja Jace, if you will. Um, he tweeted, In speaking to 76ers president Brian Colangelo tonight in Los Angeles, Colangelo says he stands by his statement. He has no knowledge of motives or origin. So he might be playing dummy right now, but it seems like he may be a little bit too caught red-handed here. What, this, what was the statement that he released? It was... uh. Well, like, oh, yeah, so here's the statement. Like many of my colleagues in sports, I've used social media as a means to keep up with the news. While I have never posted anything whatsoever on social media, I have used the Phila, at Phila, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Twitter account refer- referenced in, the, in this story to monitor our industry and other current events. The storyline is disturbing to me uh, on so many levels as I am not familiar with any of the other accounts that have been brought to my attention, nor do I know who is behind them or what their motives may be in using them. So this seems like bullshit if you read the article because the reporter gets his tips, sees something might be going on. He's aware of about five accounts. He goes to uh, the Sixers and says, hey, there's a couple accounts here. They think it's Colangelo. Do you have anything to say about it? And so this gets word gets back to Colangelo. Then the runner comes back to the ringer and says he doesn't know anything about it. And meanwhile, the three accounts that he didn't mention also went down and became or became private or were deactivated or, you know, so even the stuff that he didn't leak. So where there's smoke, there's fire. And speaking of fire, we have two more bombs here from Woj himself. Uh, Within the last 30 minutes of us recording this on 11 at 1150 p.m. on Tuesday evening. So you guys listening listening to this on Wednesday, you might know more than us. But either way. Here are some bombs from Woj himself. Sixers All-Star center Joel Embiid tells ESPN on Brian Colangelo, quote, I talked to him, and he said that he didn't say that stuff. He called me just to deny the story. Gotta believe him until proven otherwise. If true, though, that would be really bad, end quote. And that's a quote from Joel Embiid through Adrian Wojnarowski. And then Woj goes on in his own words saying, maybe there's an IT person who can prove it wasn't Brian Colangelo. But here's one of his biggest problems in disputing the Ringer story. Those tweets reflected not only private team business, but launched personal beefs, jealousies, frustrations that he shared inside and outside of the Sixers organization. So not looking bright for one Brian Colangelo. And we will be learning a lot more. But we are not now, We are no longer your source for news for this situation. We're glad we hopefully got you up to speed, maybe uh, taught you about the situation early in the morning on Wednesday. But for now, you guys will hopefully enjoy an actual podcast full of real basketball talk about the Rockets' future, the Celtics' future, the Cavs and the Warriors, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and all that jazz. But Frank, you got any last words about the Colangelo sitch before we go? Uh, you said it earlier, but I guess I'll take credit for it. Uh, this is why Philly can't have nice things. It's a damn shame. They were the feel-good story of the NBA. Joel Embiid, a lovable character. Ben Simmons, a rising star. A bunch of great role players. Brett Brown, a guy who no one seems to hate. A lot of people really rooted for. They were the talk of the town for a while in the NBA. And this is going to be a weird situation. And like Joel Embiid said, if this is proven to be true... This is going to be really, really bad. So shout out to Bab out in Yellowstone National Park. He's a huge Sixer fan. We love him. He's our guy. Sixers are going to be going through some weird times. So you stay tuned with that via ESPN, The Ringer, all that jazz. But for now, stay tuned with us on the Sports Blog New York Podcast. John Lucas Duffy, Frank Villani, and Pete Kennedy.
here comes some real basketball talk. Good luck to the 76ers. Hanky died for our sins. I can't really sing. <laughs> la, 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 to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Joining me today on the SBNY Podcast is my man, John Lucas Duffy, talking NBA Finals. What up, Duff? What up, what up? And also with us, coming back, uh, a couple weeks of a hiatus for this guy, but he's here to spit some fire about the Conference Finals and the upcoming NBA Finals. Frank Villani, what up, brother? What's going on, Petey? How we doing, brother? Dude, I'm doing pretty damn good. I mean, we got the same finals matchup yet again. I know. I know we do. Some people are pissed. Uh, it seems like the people who aren't real, real diehard NBA guys might be a little bit more pissed because maybe they're this, this is the only thing they come for, and they don't want to see the same thing over and over again. I have some arguments to say that maybe the, the average person does want to see this over and over again. These have been the highest-rated finals in a long time the past couple of years. So, I don't know. Even though it's the same thing, I'm still pretty excited, but Duff, what is your natural reaction here? Because the Rockets really seemed like they had a chance. The Celtics really seemed like they had a chance. But now that we're here, the the first game of the NBA Finals is a day away. How How is your natural reaction to Cavs-Warriors yet again? Uh, it kind of just feels like a wet fart at the end of a really awesome season. It was it. <laughs> The, the re- this regular season might be forgotten. These playoff run, these playoffs might be forgotten, and people kind of just remember the finals. But this was an awesome season of basketball. It's not the most exciting finals matchup, but it was it was a great season. Oh, wet fart, yeah, wet fart. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that was way too vivid, and like now I really feel I really feel it, and and I don't I don't know if I want to feel that right now. Frank, did you have the same sentiment or not? Um. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm not tired of it, so to say, but it definitely would have been like refreshing to have either the Cavs or the Rockets in it, especially because both series went to Game Seven. So you just felt like both teams had such a good chance of shaking it up a little bit. But I think, you know, this is this is the culmination of the past four years. This is the last year that Cavs team's going to be there. I think, uh, unless they make some serious roster changes next year, but. Yeah, I think this this is like the, the final chapter of this uh, rivalry that we have going here. I remember just a year ago saying, guys, come on, like, how are you going to be so upset that it's the third time we're seeing Cavs versus the Warriors? This is the first time in the history of the league that this is happening. Like, It's actually exciting. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Now I do sincerely understand the sentiment of like, you just want something new. I found myself rooting for the Rockets. I found myself rooting for the Celtics as well, and... There, there was that point, especially in the Warriors-Rockets game, where I, I felt in the first half the Rockets had a serious, serious chance. And then all of a sudden, the third quarter starts, and I go, what the hell was I thinking? The Warriors were never not going to win this game, especially without Chris Paul. Uh, how much did it hurt that you had to see Chris Paul on the bench just wishing, wishing he was in that game? Chris Paul tough. Off. If, if, the, <laughs> if the Rockets <laughs> are going to lose, I need Chris Paul out on the court for it. I need him to be part of the reason why. Agreed. Damn. 100% agreed. Well, uh, I was just, I mean, I've I, I've had little hamstring things before that suck for sure, but I would like to imagine that, you know, 
you get to that point in the season, nothing's going to hold you out. Like my, my man Willis Reed didn't let a hamstring hold him out. You know? I'm sure CP3 wish he had a Willis Reed moment. But hey, he's got to wait till next year. Anyway, stay tuned. SBNY podcast, NBA outsiders. We're here. We might have a partially torn hamstring. We're still showing up. Frank is out here, twisted ankle, pull, pull hamstring. Frank's showing up. <laughs> <laughs> CP3 though. I mean, for real. I I did feel I felt for him uh, when he was on the Clippers. I had this thing happen where like I didn't really care for CP3. Maybe it was the whole team. Maybe it was the Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, CP3 dynamic with Doc Rivers and Austin Rivers running around. It was just not a likable bunch. And this year, maybe it's because I'm a hardened guy, maybe because I was pulling for the Rockets. I really got behind CP3, and I thought he was the piece to help pull them over the hump. So it was very, very sad to see him not there. But anyways, Sports Blog New York Podcast, you guys know where it is. It's on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Apple Google Play. All that fun stuff. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. If you like what we have to say, let us know. Hit us on Twitter uh, at SportBlogNYC, at NBA underscore Outsiders. My personal is at Pete, under, uh, no underscore, at Pete Kennedy, two eyes. Whatever you want to do, let us know what you think. And more importantly, if you like what you've been hearing, hit us on iTunes with the little rate and review. Drop some stars. Drop some thoughts. Tell us when you, what you want to hear about, what you want to hear more of or less of. We want to hear from you guys. That's what makes it all worth it. So back to the talk here. And we're going to start with the conference finals. Obviously, we're not going to go backwards. So we'll get into the Cavs and Warriors matchup that's starting just a day from now uh, in a little bit. But to start at the conference finals, I want to start with the Rockets. It's kind of the most recent thing. It feels like it's it's still a little raw, you know, going 0 for 27 at one point consecutively from the three-point line. This team that shot more threes than anybody else in the history of the game. Now, Duff, you've been very adamant, very, very adamant you've been about the algorithm to succeed in today's NBA. It's the three-pointers, it's the layups, it's the free throws, and then obviously doing the best you can on defense. And it seemed like the Rockets had that. But when you go 0 for 27, you have people screaming for them to change what they're doing, to take a mid-range shot, even though they haven't done it all year. When you're watching this game and you're seeing every single three-pointer just not fall in, do you think the Rockets needed to change? Or did you feel like they needed to just shoot, shoot or shoot? I feel like they just needed to make shots. It's a make or miss league. Uh, and I heard a stat today that the likelihood of the Rockets, this particular Rockets team going over 27 through that stretch was like one in 72,000. So pretty ridiculous that it had to come to something so miraculous that they would lose this game with what? the perfect, perfect first half that they played. One in what? 72,000. So, like, I'm pretty sure you're more likely to get hit by lightning than you are to be part of something like that. And, like, all these people saying, like, it doesn't work, look at this, you can't trust it, blah, blah, blah. This was a historically bad shooting stretch. I don't think it's really any cause for panic because if Trevor Reason makes one three, and he had some good looks, and if Eric Gordon makes one more three, he was two for 12. James Harden makes one more three, he was two for 13. So if all like those three guys give you one more three each, one more three, then the game is tied at 101, 101. We're looking at overtimes. It's a whole, completely different game. 
that's my thought on it is they were three baskets away. They were that close to to beating the Warriors without Chris Paul. I kind of felt the same sentiment. As frustrating as it is, and it's it's especially frustrating when in maybe what within two minutes of the game being over, James Harden takes a little step back mid range shot, knocks it down. He gets to the rim partially because the Warriors decided to just let him get those laps because they didn't want him shooting the three. You see him take the mid-range and it falls. You see Kevin Durant be so effective taking the mid-range shot, and it just makes you think, like, come on, Rockets, do something else. Try something else. Clearly, you guys are not seeing the three-pointers go in the hoop. You need to figure something out. And that's why it can be so frustrating, so I get it. But I also think, you know, this team was a 36% three-point shooting team this season. I'm not asking them to shoot 36% right now. I'm looking for them to shoot half that. If they're 15, 17, 18%, they hit four or five out of those 27 threes. So kind of like you said, it's it's a couple shots. It's not like they weren't getting good looks. There were a number of wide open shots. There were a number of Eric Gordon and James Harden threes that they take all year long. And when they just don't go in over and over again, I can understand why people get so frustrated. Frank, did you feel that when you watched the Rockets not be able to put the ball in the hoop? Yeah, I, I noticed that, like, just like in game five, I think it was, when James Harden got that, like, outlet pass or maybe even a steal. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he's just standing at the three-point line, no one within, like, 15 feet of him. And instead of just putting a shot up, he passed it across court. Like, when I saw that, I didn't think it was over, obviously, because it's so early in the series, but I just couldn't help but get a bad ominous feeling like you gotta yeah stick to what your guns were i don't think they should have changed um like we said i mean they shot the most three-pointers in the entire league this year right so it's doubtful they were going to stop that when time came clutch and you know i don't think people give enough credit their style of play was push the warriors to the brink to the very brink so i don't think they need to change i i just agree with you guys a couple more makes and completely different story completely different thing we're talking about right now or even a couple foul calls go their way there were at least two maybe three arguably at least two fouls on james harden behind the three-point line where he didn't get those calls and one of them was kind of on a sort of rip through and you know you, you understand they let something like that go but another one clay thompson fouled him up top and down low didn't give him landing space and another one someone else got him with the body down low and he didn't get either one of those calls, so let's say he makes four of those. So that makes it a five-point game, and then it's like a couple baskets here or there. You don't need threes at that point. And I, I was really surprised by Trevor Ariza going out there, giving you 42 minutes and just zero points, just laying a huge goose egg, which I love Trevor Ariza. I actually think he's really versatile, and he actually reminds me – or Mikael Bridges reminds me a lot of Trevor Ariza, especially the way they shoot. And I love those Nova guys. So I love Mikael. And I hope I hope he turns out to be a player that's Trevor like similar to Trevor Reza because when he came out of school he was nothing. It's crazy to see what what he's come to. I guess he won a championship. I was like at the tenth man on the Lakers, but only guy I feel really roster. bad for him, and I feel bad for what the narrative is might be about him later. He had a rough day. I'm sure if you checked his uh, Twitter mentions, they ain't too pretty. But yeah, he's the he's the only champion on that roster. He's the guy who's probably had the most playoff runs. Because, you know, he's had every run with James Harden. He's been one of uh, Harden's top guys. He had the run with the Lakers. So you don't expect it from him. You expect it from somebody who hasn't been there before. And he's been around the block, Trevor Reza. So that's why it's so shocking. 
with those foul calls, Duff, you know, obviously you can go to about any game in history and pick out a bunch of fouls. These ones seemed specifically extra impactful from my perspective because not only did he get fouled on one play where he ended up shooting a brick off the off the glass, didn't even hit the rim because Jordan, uh, Jordan Bell had him hooked, and he tried to do what he did all season long, which as soon as the guy hooks his arm, he goes to shoot. They didn't call it. It's a brick. And then what do they do? Run right back on the fast break, and Clay Thompson hits a three right in their face. So it's it it becomes not a three point loss; it becomes a six point swing, and and mm-hmm. that's brutal to come back from. And then when it happened three times, three different times it happened, and that's why I'm sure Rockets fans were absolutely irate about those calls. And I I get it; I I really do get it. It was tough to watch. Um, and, and Frank. How do you feel about those calls, specifically in a conference finals? Obviously, the officiating gets tough. Uh, the refs don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be the swingers in in the game. They don't want to be the reason for a team to win or lose. So they kind of tend to eat the whistle on occasion, right? But when James mm-hmm. Harden does this for 82 games in a regular season and then continues to do the same exact thing in the playoffs and doesn't get the calls, did you find a problem with that, or do you think that was a, a fair way to call it? I mean, it's like you said, I definitely get the aspect like, you know, you kind of want to swallow the whistle in the playoffs because you want them to settle it on the court. But I think it definitely impacted the series. Um, The Warriors specifically are a team, when things like that happen, they feed off of it, or at least they seem to. Like you said, the the minus three points that you should have had turns into minus six points because they turn around and hit the three right away. So even more specifically against a team like the Warriors, you really don't want to have the refs missing calls on your side because, I mean, we saw what they did in that in that third quarter. Again, I think it was game five. They were down by like 10 going into the half, and then they just exploded in the second half. And, I mean, no other team has that kind of boom like them. So once once you start losing momentum, especially if it's something like just not getting calls – and them turning those missed calls into points, like, that's huge. And it always will be, especially for a team that's got, you know, four all-stars and probably the best offensive player in the league, you know? It's crazy to think that Clay Thompson had four fouls in, like, the first quarter. And it didn't seem to matter. Yeah, that was really interesting. I was very worried for the Warriors after that happened. The other thing I'll say, in the beginning of the game, the fouls were... It seemed like the way the refs were calling the game was definitely in favor of the Rockets because they were definitely the more more physical team on defense, on the glass, swarming to the ball. Mark Jackson always, I love the phrase, one phrase he uses, pursuing the basketball, and the Rockets were doing that on both ends of the court, hunting for offensive rebounds and hunting for turnovers on the defensive end. And this was the first and only game in this whole series where the team that won the turnover battle lost the game. The Rockets had 12, the Warriors had 16. So even though they were taking better care of the ball, when you miss that many shots, they're basically turnovers at that point because you got long rebounds that can start out, start the break on three-pointers. So that was really disappointing. Someone I was really impressed in this game, P.J. Tucker. Shout Eight out. offensive rebounds. Holy shit. Like, he was bodying Kevin Durant on the glass in the, in the first half, and Kevin Durant was walking through this game like a zombie. He ended up with 30 points. Like I was thinking to myself, I didn't tell you guys it's 34, but if he didn't if he didn't score 30 plus this game, I would have given the Warriors zero percent chance. 
and uh, he, he hit the mark eventually. And some really, really uncharacteristic free throw misses early in the game for him. For someone who, like, didn't miss a free throw all playoffs or all series. Yeah. I mean, we, we mentioned it in our in our group chat uh, just about, like, the difference between these teams wasn't going to come down to, like, Harden, Paul, Durant, and Curry. Like, Capella was playing out of his mind early in the series. And that game that P.J. Tucker scored 22 and hit, like, every corner three he took, like, you saw the difference the role players made. And I, I, I'm disappointed. I'm like, not disappointed, but like, I'm disappointed that the Warriors and Draymond got off because, man, he looks so bad at certain parts in the series. And I feel like, oh, they just didn't deserve it. Yeah, it really did feel like the Warriors were letting it slip. It looked like there were just huge points of games. When I say huge points, I don't specifically mean the most important. I mean large chunks of many games where they didn't seem to care as much. They seemed a little sloppy and Draymond was kind of in the middle of that. No, like he didn't look like classic Draymond who's just locked in a savage yelling on the court, going crazy. He was making bad turnovers. He's like afraid to shoot. He's got like Markel Fultz thing with this shot right now. He's like twitching with his shot. He doesn't want to take it. The Rockets were ecstatic every time he lined up at three ball because he couldn't hit anything. It was not classic Draymond, if you ask me. Uh, and it, ter- it comes comes down to Steph having a crazy third quarter because if Steph doesn't have that crazy third quarter, Kevin Durant's 34 seems even more quiet than it actually was because it, it was a quiet 34, which only people like Durant, LeBron, Harden can even do a quiet 34. No one, no one who's not that good gets a quiet 34. But if Steph doesn't go ham in the third and take over, what are we saying right now? Like, what are we saying about... If the Rockets win this win this game, like what are we saying about the Warriors of what went what went wrong? You know, I think I think if that happened, a lot of people would have been calling for for a true big man in their lineup because they're like the the biggest proponent of small ball. They have the best small ball lineup in the league, and like I said earlier, I really think Clint Capello is like the biggest X factor for the Rockets in this series. They had no answer for him defensively. And his rim running was, I mean, it's been at the level it was at all year, but I I don't think he gets enough love. I mean, he really, he really was the biggest thorn in the, in the Warriors side in this series, in my opinion, not just, you know, numbers wise, but like what he brings to the game, the rim protection, the rim running, all that jazz, like just absolutely, they didn't have a chance without it. You know, and he didn't seem—he doesn't seem to miss a shot, <laughs> Clint Capella. Like he doesn't miss. He shoots a ridiculous percentage. He only takes those push shots and those weird floaters and stuff. Um, a question about the small ball thing, right? Because the big small ball thing with the Warriors always comes back to Andre Iguodala, and he was obviously hurt for the biggest games in this series. So the quotes came out after the game. They came pouring out. Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker both stated, if we had Chris Paul, we're playing on Thursday. We're in the finals. But then Steve Kerr on the flip side comes out and goes, oh, if we had Andre Iguodala, we win the series in five. Do you guys buy into either storyline? What do you make of these two quotes from uh, the opposite sides of the spectrum here? I'm definitely buying the Chris Paul quote. If they had, if Iguodala's hurt still and Chris Paul can play in game seven, I think the Rockets win this game because down the stretch, I was texting with my brother. I think I talked to you guys too. It seemed like for a stretch of about two whole minutes, Harden just didn't touch the ball. And you can survive that if Chris Paul is playing because that was the whole appeal at the beginning of this 
season, we were sitting here, we were saying at for 48 minutes, every game you play, you will have a hall of fame point guard and ball handler on the court. So who makes good decisions and can hit tough shots and can get your team out of a bad spot. And for this game and for game six, they didn't have that guy. And it really hurt them on the road because, uh, they didn't have Chris Paul to kind of weather the storm and in a hostile environment. And now at home, you know, it was closer, but it was kind of the same thing where it was, it was a close game for like three quarters of the way. And then down the stretch, the Warriors just kind of took a stranglehold on it. And I think if they have Chris Paul, they win game seven, but that's the thing about Chris Paul. It's not a matter of if he gets hurt, it's when, and it was at a really crucial time for them. If this hamstring tweak happens in, Round one or round two, not as big of a deal. In missing game six and seven in the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, absolute worst possible time it could have happened. It, even if it happened in the finals, it would have been, and they made it past the Warriors, that would have been less drastic to me. The fact that it happened against the Warriors in the last two games of their, what turned into the last two games of their season, that was, you know, like, I, I, it's, it's injuries, and I feel like bad saying this, but like, that's classic Chris Paul. Some people are just more injury prone than others. And he is one of those guys. And it's the reality of his career at this point. And also Mike Conley would have played, bro. <laughs> Mike, Mike Conley missed the whole season. <laughs> is he alive? <laughs> Shout out Mike Conley. That's my guy though. Has anyone heard from him? Uh, no, but I do, him? I do remember Frank, him. Call playing your in, I, I remember he played an entire series against the thunder with the torn or, or plantar fasciitis. That shit hurts too. Oh, man. I mean, that's just a guy who wants to be out there. I don't get that same vibe from Chris Ball. Not Stop. that. No, no, I wouldn't say I that. I think that. he would have died I to mean, be out there. But you, you don't know how bad a hamstring is. He, he had you don't a know how bad it's torn up. It you was. Know? It was. Uh, Should have went out there and tested it. I think what they said. The quote tried? came out. If Come he on. played, uh, like it, if they won tonight, it was the expectation wasn't going to be he'd be back for game one. They'd be like, no, it'd probably be game closer three. to game three. Yeah, no, listen, James Harden had a grade two hamstring strain during the regular season, which is the same uh, diagnosis of what Chris Paul had, which is a partial tear. It's a technical term for partial tear. And James Harden missed three weeks in the regular season. Now, granted, it's a regular season. You're going to be cautious with it. But to say that he he should have went out there, come on, that's that's a low blow. But wait, real quick. Um, I love both Chris Paul. <laughs> fair, fair enough. He's actually. doing it to everyone else. All right, I see you. <laughs> yeah, he fucking elbowed Kevin Durant in the booty hole, man. Come on. <laughs> Yo, that's that's going to be a forgotten moment of this season. Not by the outsiders. No. We'll, <laughs> no, no, never. Never forget. <laughs> we'll never forget that. <laughs> I'll, I'll also never forget that. Like, Eric Gordon, man. Like, you got to give him some credit. Because Eric Gordon is a very, very worthy third ball handler or, or third scorer, whatever you want to do, third playmaker, whatever you want to call him. But when he bumps up to number two, and then the third option becomes a mishmash of PJ Tucker, Trevor Ariza, and Joe Johnson, like that's no good. You know what I mean? Like some Gerald Green or Gerald Green, but he like exactly those guys aren't playmakers. Like Gerald Green got one take. I remember specifically, he made a great. Uh, he attacked the closeout perfectly. He made a great little pump, uh, jabbed right through. He's in the lane, and like old Gerald Green. And when I say old Gerald Green. I mean, young Joe Green, he would have dunked on somebody's head. But he's like 33, and he tried to go up, do a floater, a little jelly action, and and just didn't have it in him to finish the layup. And Joe Johnson, for as nice of a veteran he ha- is to have on the bench, like he doesn't have it anymore, and he was getting worked on defense. 
Only person who looked worse than him on defense was Ryan Anderson. Like, when mm. Chris Paul goes down, it becomes Harden, Eric Gordon, and role players who cannot do anything on their own. And it's just tough to watch when you have Steph, KD, uh, Clay, and Dre right across the way. So do any of you guys think the Steve quote or Steve Kerr quote holds any narrative? Holds any water that if Absolutely. they had uh yeah. Iguodala, they win in five? I don't know about nah. five. I say they probably win in six if they have Iguodala and he's healthy the entire time. I, I think they're a far better team defensively and offensively with Andre Iguodala. It's one more person who just knows what to do. You can absolutely trust him. He will take and make open threes, even though he's not the best three-point shooter. Andre Iguodala, like, if he... How about this? Put Andre Iguodala on the Rockets when Chris Paul goes down, and they're in fantastic shape because that's a guy who can handle the ball, bring it up, run a little pick and roll, can do something with the ball to be useful, rather than Eric Gordon and James Harden having to touch the ball every possession or nothing would ever happen. I, I'm going to pass on that, on that. What if scenario? Um, I mean, obviously he's a good player and makes a difference, but I don't think he, he makes that big a difference to, to cut it from seven to five. Um, I don't know. I just think when you play the, what if game, anybody can win anything. You know what I mean? That's a good point. And actually, Frank, I'm going to take that and segue us to another what-if game, but one that's actually a little bit practical here. Uh, So let's not spend too much time here, but we do have to make a decision. We have to become Daryl Morey for a hot second. So I'm going to put Duff on the spot first. Chris Paul is a free agent. The Rockets do not specifically have a ton of cap room due to the likes of Ryan Anderson and saving some money for Clint Capella when he becomes a free agent. What do the Rockets do, Duff, with Chris Paul and their offseason? I try to run it back. I really do, and just pray to God he doesn't get hurt again in, in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, if he plays one of those last, or not, if he plays in Game Seven, and he gives them anything, I think they could have won this game. Uh, I, I mean, the the issue is he's 33 years old. He's an undersized point guard with a lot of injury history, and I'm not sure down the stretch of his career, what type of other issues are going to pop up just from age and wear and tear. And he plays a very physical style of basketball on, especially on the defensive end. He is very strong. Like you see LeBron trying to post up Terry Rozier and it's like no problem. But if KD's trying to post up Chris Paul, it's tough. It's going to work because he has got the low center of gravity. He's not afraid to be physical. He'll foul up and down the court for 46 minutes a game. And it's on the refs to make a decision whether they want to call it or not. Um, so I, honestly, he's not going to do anything less than three years. So I try to go three years. There's no way I'm giving him more than that just because I'm so concerned with his injuries. I really don't, I, I don't, th- that contract is going to be really awful on the back end. So anything more than three years, I'm out. Frank, how about you? Um, I have to agree. Uh, it's tough. I think they're so close. I mean, obviously, they pushed the Warriors to seven games. Um, I don't see how you blow that up right now. And, I mean, they could definitely try and shed that Ryan Anderson money because it's not like they need him. But I'm not sure. You who's know, where who's they taking dump that? that? <laughs> yeah, who's dumping that? Yeah, who's no, taking that? I'm dump? not sure where they could dump it, but that's a player in general that they could just try to dump for salary cap purposes. But. 
Yeah, I agree. If I'm the Rockets and I'm Darren Morey, I'm I'm trying to run it back. Sign and trade for LeBron? Yeah, Wait, I was going to say, so none of you guys mentioned the elephant in the room here. So I think this is a little bit unlikely, even though it's been getting some media hype, is that LeBron would sign with the Rockets. I think it's unlikely because of the lack of flexibility uh, that the Rockets would have. Uh, that on top of, is LeBron going to join two other ball-dominant stars? I don't know. Is he going to join another best friend of his who's old and going to be injured possibly? I don't know. Like, Does LeBron see Chris Paul right now? What do you now? mean you don't know? We just had Dwayne Wade on his team. Yeah, and he kicked him off halfway through because he's like, this guy's old and washed up. So He you missed know? him, though. Like, honestly, <laughs> having playoff Dwayne Wade like in shape was not, would not have been a terrible option. Now, you, I, I actually tend to agree. He, he won a game or two for the Heat somehow in, in the first round of that series. Um, yeah, Frank, you, you like kicking Yo, your Yeah, over Frank, there? you moving furniture over there, bro? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to sit back. Trying to <laughs> <laughs> all right, mute, mute yourself next time, all right? Have some respect for the pod. You're trying to get comfortable out here working harder. <laughs> Try, I'm trying to hammer home my take, and I don't even know what I was at. Damn. You're saying, you're saying that Ron James doesn't want to play with old people again. Yes, true. Right, right. Late. Correct. Thank you for paying attention, even though you were getting comfy. Uh, like, <laughs> is, is is there a chance LeBron James looks at Chris Paul and is like, "All right, my man is going to be really good for like 55 games this year, and hopefully he's going to be healthy in the playoffs," or do I want to find some young guns who are likely not going to be hurt? It's, it's kind of a tough thing to say, and also. If you're the Rockets, I know it's kind of crazy, but like, are you going to take LeBron on to mortgage your whole future like the Cavs have done uh, over and over again over these past four seasons? Like, Do you mortgage your whole future on possibly a year, maybe two of LeBron? And then you know when he walks in a year or two, you can't sign Clint Capello because you couldn't pay him. You got to get rid of Trevor Ariza and Ryan Anderson. And then you're basically running out you know, three good players with nobody else around him. Like... It becomes a tough call. I know Daryl Morey has been open saying if you can get LeBron James, you do it. But it's more complicated than it seems is my main point here. The biggest issue with this whole hypothetical is everyone forgets this is James Harden's team. James Harden is about to win the MVP. And I think if they sign LeBron or trade firm, however they do it, they get LeBron on the team with James Harden. Harden is going to be pissed because LeBron is going to have to be the guy when the past like three years you run your offense entirely through one one person essentially in James Harden. So how's that gonna look when you say, Okay, you know, thanks for winning the MVP and all, but we're gonna go hand it to this guy and then essentially LeBron becomes just the greatest version of a mercenary of all time. And if that's gonna be the rest of his career where he's just hopping team from team trying to win championships, I honestly don't think I would hate it. But if I'm James Harden I feel, like, terribly betrayed. That's kind of what I said about the Sixers situation, which some people, uh, including Vegas, think is the most likely destination for, for LeBron. I don't know if you guys saw that. but uh, Really? Los- Over Cleveland? Uh, Las Vegas is has now pronounced the 76ers as the favorite. It was, like, plus 125. I think the Cavs were plus 150 or something like that. Uh, okay, to, so to land him back, so it's really close. But that's what they're saying right now. Obviously, they're they're basing that off what kind of bets they want people to place. But either way, mm. I I, I kind of am in the camp where if I'm Ben Simmons, like, do I want LeBron, the guy who I get compared to, to come, you know, win the title with me to pass the torch, or do I want to rip it from his cold hands? Like, 
You know what I mean? Like, if you're Ben Simmons and you're trying to be the best player in the league, you're trying to be the next LeBron James, do you want him to hand you the next trophy or do you want to rip it from him? I kind of think if you want to be the best player in the league, you want to beat the best. You don't want to join the best to win. So it's kind of the same concept for James Harden, who clearly thinks he's one of the best players in the league. Uh, Frank, any last words on the Rocket situation? Because we do have to uh, hop to the Celtics and Cavs situation, even though we've been just talking about LeBron. No, I, 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 I agree with the sentiment. I think uh, if I was in Ben Simmons' shoes, I'd want to beat LeBron. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's because you're an assassin, Frank, even though you're comfortable right now. Cold-blooded. Uh, yeah, hey, man. Cold-blooded and comfortable are synonymous. Okay? <laughs> and, <laughs> that's actually that's a good point. <laughs> if, if you're cold-blooded, you, you just adapt to the temperature. Hell yeah, dog. You're being, or you're, being... you're one of those like uh, tree lizards in Florida that freezes when it gets like thirty degrees. No, poor guy. <laughs> poor little guy. <laughs> Fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, uh, the Celtics were kind of rockets at Jace at this point. The only reason I'll say at Jace is because they don't have their two best players. Two of them were hurt, not only one, but their two best players were hurt, as we all know, and have been hearing like crazy. And, oh, the Celtics still might beat LeBron without their two best players. What's that going to say about LeBron? Well, the young guns couldn't get it done, even back home in Game 7 in Boston. Duff, I'm going to start off with you, just because you've been a big Celtics uh, watcher this season. You know, you've been very high on Jalen Brown. You've been high on Tatum. Uh, you you have I'm pretty sure you own a scary Terry shirt, so it's only right to let you take the floor here, Duff. Even though it's disappointing in the end, how do you feel about the Celtics and their run through the playoffs this year? I feel like I'm uh, gonna add that scary Terry shirt to my collection right next to my Warriors '73 win shirt <laughs> of shirts of never absolutely wear again. useless pop culture TV or uh, <laughs> pop culture shirts that I own. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was. It was disappointing to see the way that game was handled down the stretch. It was just like, it it, it was, it was weird. I I was watching the game and I turned to, Mike. I was watching with my cousin and I was just like, I don't understand why isn't Tatum touching the ball more in the second half? I don't get it. I don't get it. And then he, like, he slams home the dunk over LeBron. Then he hits the three and it's like, oh my god, this is it. This is the passing of the torch. Like, it's not Ben Simmons. It's Jason Tatum. He's about to rip it from him. This is crazy. And then I see he only has 18 points or something at a certain point uh, at a certain point in the game. And I turn to my cousin. And I go, oh, my God, that's not nearly enough. And it was in the fourth quarter, like half the quarter to go. Maybe I was like, he needs to get to 27, 28 if they're even going to have a chance. He ended up with 24. And they just didn't run enough stuff for him. And he didn't get selfish enough about certain things. And it's like he doesn't know that he's the best player at that point. And you know who else definitely didn't know that is Terry Rozier who went 0 for 10 from three. 0 for 10. Good God, man. And this team, can everyone who said that the Celtics should trade Kyrie Irving because they have Terry Rozier should be like executed. That's the most exonerated. It's it's exiled from this whole country. (laughs) What it's is exonerated? Embarrassing. Mean? What does exonerated mean? Like actually let free? I think I did the wrong word there. Yeah, I think exonerated means like forgiven. Maybe ah, I don't know. Sorry, exiled. Or maybe your bad your bad deeds are forgiven. Maybe I don't know. Exiled. Whatever. Just get him out of here because I don't want to hear about it. It was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. 
to watch Kyrie just like dominate on his own team for once. And everyone's like, oh, Brad Stevens, just like a system coach, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you need players. You need is a player's league. He can only make the team so much better, but it still comes down to the, how the players perform on the court. And they were getting open looks like Terry Rozier had some open looks. But sometimes he was just running ridiculous plays where all of a sudden he turned around, and shot a three after he just dribbled through the lane, ran to the corner, some bullshit like that. And I, I don't understand what you're thinking at that point. And Tatum is just not there mentally to to be like, hey, you fucking idiot. What are you doing? Give me the ball like I am going to take us there. Just trust me. I got this. Don't even worry. And then Marcus Smart goes one for ten on the game like if you watch the Celtics all season, that's just like a typical Marcus Smart game and him coming out saying, I do so much more, like I'm worth more than $13, $14 million. I do more for a team that you can't see on a box score. And it's like, okay, all that stuff is true, but unless you're actually tangentially and statistically making a significant impact for your team as opposed to loose balls, because you can get all the loose balls in the world, but if you miss the shot at the other end, it didn't even matter. Like it, it's irrelevant because unless second chance opportunities or turnovers turn into points, they're irrelevant. It's just like time of possession. If you don't score in football and you settle for field goals or you have to punt after you get an interception, the interception might not have well have even happened. So you, you just essentially stop the other team from scoring. You don't put your team necessarily in a better position. And I, I, I don't know. That, that was, I, I'm just, I don't know. No, I, honestly, it's really true. And I, I want to hop back before I forget. I don't want to miss something that you touched on. I want to make sure I hammer this home here. To the people who believe the Celtics were better off without Kyrie Irving, just think about why the Celtics struggled in any series throughout this entire playoffs, especially at the end when you know they dominated the Cleveland Cavaliers every time at home until Game 7, and they just looked like absolute crap on the road every single game. Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, but mostly Kyrie Irving is the perfect, perfect guy to combat the, the the road thing. Kyrie Irving is a bonafide superstar closer, specifically with closing. You can say all you want about Kyrie Irving, maybe not being the best facilitator. Maybe he doesn't lift his teammates as much. I personally saw a lot from Kyrie this season with the Celtics that I didn't see with him, obviously playing next to LeBron, in a very different role. I thought he got a lot better. But to say he wouldn't help a team that struggled to score at times, especially on the road, and to be able to close out games away from home, who's a better guy in the league to be cold-blooded, to be unstoppable, to get a bucket all by himself whenever he wanted to in the, in, in the entire league? It's Kyrie Irving. He's that guy. So if you sit here and think Terry Rozier is going to bring the Celtics to glory, yeah, as a sixth man. Maybe as a starter next to Kyrie, if he becomes a really elite defender. Even that doesn't make sense because Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, etc. Kyrie is a closer. Kyrie is one of the best offensive point guards we've ever seen. So many people believe him to be the best ball handler in the league. You don't think in tight games, on the road, in the playoffs, that doesn't come out to shine the most? It's insane to me. It's truly, truly insane to me. So the only possible way you you should think that Kyrie should get traded is if you think he's injury prone and if you're just hanging your hat on that Kyrie's gonna get hurt Kyrie's gonna get hurt Kyrie's gonna get hurt I have nothing to say to you but if you think the Celtics are a better team without Kyrie Irving get out of here yeah get up on out of here
It was just, and it didn't even have to be on the road because it had game seven at home. So it's not even like he had a battle against the crowd or any sort of momentum that an away crowd would have given the other team. It's He would have been at home, comfortable on the parquet floor. And it's just really, man, it really sucks that his knee had to be fucked up at the end of the season like that. Like, man, I really wanted the Celtics to win this series, not because I really hate Cleveland or anything like that. Like, honestly, I'm tired of watching them play. And especially in this series where really neither team has a chance against the Warriors. I think it would have been a lot of fun just to see a younger team match up against, you know, the most dominant team that I've ever seen in my life. And it would have been cool to see how they reacted because they're so young. They have so much potential to come back. And if they get there and they see, damn, we got to put in a lot of work just to get back and get here and try not to get our asses handed to us again. Instead, LeBron made it back there for the eighth straight year, which is an amazing achievement. I'm not trying to take away from that in any way. I really just find no joy in watching the Cavaliers at this point because it's really just LeBron going to work and everyone else trying to do what little they can to try to scrape together something so that they could help ele- like help elevate him in any sort of way for all that he does for them. And it, it really it's it's tough it's tough to watch as it's just like our team is so much better. Like if you're a Celtics fan, you're like, our team is so much better, but you, then you look across the court and you look at LeBron James and on the flip side of the coin, when you're a Cavs fan, you say, yeah, but we got that guy. Like you don't have that guy. This is, this is who we got. And if you're playing pickup and there's just someone there who played like D one ball, wherever you're like, damn, I just want to play on that dude's team. Cause he's going to make the whole difference in the world. doesn't matter if the rest of us are better than the rest of his team he's he's so elite and it's it's really almost like it's so disheartening it's really just he snatches your soul in so many ways lebron james is just so dominant and terrifying it's 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 beholden to watch lebron is so good <laughs> he's so good how, how do you game like you can't game plan for lebron like you just kind of have to accept that he's going to do what he's going to do. And you just have to try and limit everyone else around him. Kind of like surprised there weren't more doubles. I'm surprised there weren't more doubles on LeBron. The best games the Celtics else. had, I mean, like just the way they looked were, were the games where JR scored zero, which I think was back to back. And uh, I forget who else put up a fat goose egg for them, too. George but, Hill had a two point game once. Yeah, like when you can limit their side players and make LeBron do everything, like obviously he can do everything, but I'm sure he doesn't prefer to, you know? Oh, wait, did Corver have a goose egg in game seven? I'm pretty sure Corver didn't score. Yeah, he made one three. He oh, made right, one right. ridiculous right. three coming off a screen right. with yeah, a guy in front him. of him, a guy behind him. He somehow got it off. That yep. was It was an incredible shot. That is yeah. absolutely correct. I, and I, I can't believe I forgot that. I was watching that on my phone. In line, I watched the entire fourth quarter in line for uh, the Osprey out and shout out Jersey Shore. Um, I was in, I, me and like three dudes were huddled around my phone in like the fifty degree freezing cold rain, uh, just to just to watch LeBron and Kyle Korver hit that shot, and we like all freaked out. But you know, he hits one shot. Jeff Green is the second leading scorer, and LeBron is able to carry this team over over the hump. Do do you guys like? I know he becomes the butt of the joke often. 
But does Ty Lue deserve some love? Like, does Ty Lue deserve anything no. here? Because no. even when, I mean, unless, like, you know, some select analyst <laughs> will give him love, maybe because they have relationships, relationships with him, maybe it's because they know he actually does a ton of work for this team. I don't really know what's the truth. But doesn't he deserve something? Like, that team played good defense. They held the Celtics and Brad Stevens, almighty Brad Stevens who can't do any wrong, to 78 points. So, like, does Ty Lue get no love? No love. Nothing. No love. No love. No, not no love. At, yeah, at, I, I can't. Age, like, what, like, Kevin Love he, he's goes supposed down. To, he's supposed to, like, coach Jeff Green to having the best game of his life, apparently, <laughs> like, for no, like, for no apparent reason. I still can't wrap my head around Jeff Green is an actual person in the NBA <laughs> still, and then that person who's actually still in the NBA somehow, who allegedly has a pulse, is going to be in the finals. And who is the second best player on the Cavaliers in this in the game seven of an Eastern Conference Finals game? Like, that's LeBron. That's LeBron. LeBron gets all the credit. And Ty Lue can just stand there like a puppeteer. Like or, and just with the puppet strings and LeBron's doing whatever. I, I give all the credit to LeBron because the incredible performance that he put on this entire season, playing eighty-two games, game seven was his hundredth game, played all forty-eight minutes, scored thirty-five points, he had 15 rebounds. He had nine assists. I don't know. And he was handling the ball constantly. I don't know. You can't like, you can't like coach that. Like, I, I don't, that's not something. Right, so, wait, let, let me, let me say this. Cause I know there, there, there's people out there who are not fans of LeBron James. I am not one of those people, but let me play the role of one of those people. So I'm not one of those people. I don't like LeBron. Right. So, I, think, right. I just respect him. So yeah, you're a rational basketball fan who will take what you see with your eyes rather than what you feel in your heart and say it out loud rather than the opposite. So let me do what a lot of people do right here. Ready? I'm going to set this up for you guys. You can answer however you want. So you're telling me that LeBron James, when they win and they win game seven, they make it to the finals. It's all on him. No love for Ty Lue. Obviously Kevin Love got hurt. Jeff Green, oh, it's an anomaly. He still sucks. J.R. Smith did nothing. Kyle Korver did nothing, yada, yada, yada. All LeBron James. But now you're going to tell me when they lose, when they don't do a great job, when they get torched on defense every other play, that it's no blame on LeBron. So he gets all the praise, and you don't get one ounce of blame when he when his I mean, team loses. When you, when you drop a 40-point triple-double and your team still loses, kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's kind and, of what does happen. I mean, it, in any other scenario, you're 100% right. But with this specific team and this specific guy, he literally does everything for them. Literally everything. He's their best defender. He's their best passer. He's their best scorer. He might even be their best shooter. Like, <laughs> seriously, it's, it's crazy, but it's fucking true. He's been shooting so and, good. It's crazy. Those fadeaways in the left wing is they're insane. It's ridiculous. It's just hard to to give anyone else credit because it's so apparent how head and shoulders better he is than everyone on his own team and everybody else. You take this roster and this coach, you just take LeBron off and then you put on, I don't know, like Damari Carroll. You just like flip that or you give him like Trevor Ariza. Yeah. This team is in like top five in the lottery. hundred percent easy. And it's not close. So, wait, actually, I'm glad you brought up Damari Carroll because I was thinking about something last night when we started a conversation in our, in our IG NBA Outsiders group chat. You know, we're talking, and uh, you sent the picture in that had a picture of Nick Young, Larry Nance, and Jordan Clarkson 
all on the same bench as a part of the Lakers. And now all three of those people will be playing in the NBA Finals, which is insane because Jordan Clarkson is bonafide trash. Larry Nance is a uh, glorified energy player. And Nick Young is Nick Young. I mean, he's he's Nick Young. I don't have to say anything else. And <laughs> I, I jokingly said, you know, the, the one guy who is not in that picture because he had to get traded from the Lakers because of what he did to Nick Young, D'Angelo Russell, I'd rather have him. And, it, and I don't want to get into that conversation, but it made me think about this. Remove the entire Cavaliers roster, except for LeBron James, and then insert the Nets roster. Is it better or worse? Better. Who's coaching? No, it's it's Ty Lue and LeBron and the, Cle- and the Cleveland Cavaliers, but you take away Smith, Corver, Love, Thompson, everybody, Jose Calderon, and you give him Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Ronda Hollis-Jefferson, um, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie, you know, like the, the Nets. You give them the Nets. Are they better, worse, or the same? It's like a wash. I don't think any of it is really a significant difference. I think they're better. <laughs> if you they're if better. you switch coaches. <laughs> Can I just, uh, well, I mean, the yeah, Nets but that, have guys who can shoot the ball. And that's one of the things the Cavs seem to to miss right now, especially because Kyle Korver cannot hold his own defensively, so they have a hard time justifying giving him playing time. But the guys on the Nets, like uh, um, Karis LeVert can shoot the three. Joe Harris, baby. Uh, Joe Harris can shoot the three. Alan Crabb. Alan Crabb can shoot the three. D'Angelo Russell can shoot the three. I think the team around LeBron at that point would be better suited to be his role players than the team that the Cavs have now. They traded everybody and expected to get enough return to to have a finals-ready team, and I think they're kind of realizing right now that, I mean, they made the finals, but nobody's giving them a chance. Nobody. I think that team still makes the finals, but I still think they lose. Like they, Frank brought up a great point. They basically turned over their roster already this season. They did it once. So, like, if you just flip it again, if you give him Kenny Atkinson, I give him a little better chance. Yeah, but, like, but, you're, saying, you're saying that what is what is Ty Lue going to do? What is a coach going to do to change LeBron's game or change LeBron's team's game? So you're saying a different coach would do I don't do, think it's critical. I think it's, like, a slight edge. The way that you were saying you would rather have D'Angelo Russell over Jordan Clarkson, like, I don't think that makes any sort of significant difference uh, because neither one of them play a lick of, de- lick of defense. It makes the so world a difference. So you, you point at, <laughs> like, Jordan Jordan Clarkson, uh, what the fuck's his name? Kyle Korver, um, uh, D'Angelo Russell, like Nick Stauskas. None, like none of those guys can play in a in a finals series against the Warriors. So really, I, none of it really matters. So, but on the offensive end, it's basically like maybe a slight upgrade, but it's like you would rather have Kyle Korver than Jair Smith out there shooting the threes, but. He can't play anyone on defense, so you can't have him out there. You'd rather D'Angelo Russell than George Hill on offense, but D'Angelo Russell can't guard the water cooler, so it doesn't matter. They just get torched all night. It's a good exercise. <laughs> it's a fun exercise. I mean, none of, like none of it's critical, and that's my point. Is like LeBron is so great, they probably gets they get to the finals anyway. If you flip those rosters at the beginning of the season, just wipe our memories and be like, yeah, LeBron, because like the the team he had. You'd be like, oh, yeah, but those guys had been there, blah, blah, blah. It's like they were only there because they were on the team with LeBron, and he got them there. Like, Or they were on the team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and LeBron, wait, and so those like, three got them there. 
next to Iman Shumpert's name when, you know, say Iman Shumpert in like 10 years makes an appearance on NBA The Jump on ESPN. Oh, don't even say it. Right? I know, don't they're, even say it. They're going to say NBA champion LeBron James, oh. but in his little uh, lower third where it says his name, there's going to be an asterisk, and it's going to say with LeBron. So it's a, like there's a special uh, type of ring you get when you're Iman Shumpert and you have a ring with LeBron James. It's a little, it's a little small. You know what? They get, they should get pinky rings instead of full like championship <laughs> rings. They should get a little pinky rings. Well, the fact that we can even have this conversation and be semi-serious kind of says all we need to know. But before we do our predictions uh, for the finals, let me ask you this, guys the question about the Celtics. I think it's an easier answer than with the Rockets even, but the same question I asked the Rockets with the Celtics. What do the Celtics do in the offseason, uh, if anything at all, and what do you expect for them moving forward? Uh, I'll go to you first, Frank. Uh, so I think they're in an interesting position. They always have all these pieces these past couple of years that everyone's like, they can make a move, they can make a move. Uh, I think they might be done trading for draft picks. Um, I really, I, you, th- you don't think so? Keep going. I got some for you. Um, I think, you know, in terms of young talent in the system, they have quite enough for right now. I think their biggest problem is maybe finding another big man. Uh, I think Aaron Baines played well for them this year, but uh, I think they could definitely upgrade there. Um, Al Horford played out of his mind, so they need to keep him. Uh, They just need to be healthy next year, man. That's really the main difference for me and them. Um, if they can stay healthy, I mean, it changes everything. So we, a lot of people were saying, a lot of people were saying trade Kyrie. You got, you got Terry Rozier. I'm so mad at those people. I want the Celtics to trade Terry Rozier and I want to watch him become like DJ Augustine. It's like somewhere else. <laughs> Reggie Jackson. That's so yeah, like, yes. Reggie Jackson, like a poor man's Reggie Jackson. So spiteful. I like Terry Rozier. I got a scary Terry shirt, but he betrayed me. He betrayed me in game seven. He shot 10 threes. He shot four more threes than uh, Jason Tatum did. Four total. And they shot, I mean, it was only like a three shot difference between the two, and Jason Tatum wound up having more. But my God, just why not just give him the ball? What a totally different thing. But um, I don't see them making any significant moves. I really don't. Like maybe. Maybe they sign Marcus Smart back. Probably just give him a qualifying offer. If someone wants to take him for $17, $18 million, I, if I'm the Celtics, I say, go ahead, because you're not going to do anything with this guy because he's not on the Celtics anymore. Like, Think about Jay Crowder, uh, who actually did pretty good with the Jazz, but was all falling the Cavs. You take uh, Avery Bradley. like you, Isaiah Thomas, who also had injury problems, but you you just point to anyone that's been on the Celtics in the past few years that's no longer there and they're considerably worse. So why am I scared about Marcus Smart walking away? I don't think if he is on any other team, I don't think he's anything special. Like he's a great hustle guy, but he's like Lance Stevenson 2.0. I don't know if he's that good. Oh, come on. Lance Stevenson cabal. I'm jumping in here. I'm jumping in. When I watch the Celtics, and I watch basically almost every game they play this entire playoff series, there's at least three or four moments every single game where I go, I want that guy on my team, and I'm thinking of Marcus Smart. Like He is a good passer. He is a very good defender. And you know what? He has one for ten games. Sure, he does. And I ain't paying him $16 million either. 
But like, if he's gonna be given anywhere from the six to twelve range, maybe fourteen, I think about it because I want that guy battling on my team, and I think he only looks better when he's playing next to Kyrie and Gordon, and then Jalen and Tatum. Like, he is a like he's a warrior. That guy, you want him out there for your squad. Personally, that's how I feel about him. And I I understand that, and I'm with you on that. But I, it's not worth eighteen million dollars to me. Absolutely, that not. that, that type of thing is not worth eighteen million dollars. Definitely not worth eighteen or sixteen. Probably not even fourteen. But like twelve, sign me up. I think that fourteen will be the highest number they go to. And we all that know that Danny Ainge like, kind of doesn't give a hell about feelings. So right, you know, if Marcus Mark keeps running his mouth about how he's worth more money than this, yeah, seriously, yeah, if Dan- he doesn't <laughs> chill out with that, oh man, Danny Ainge will offer him five million and then say, "See you later." If you get something like who's to say Semi Ojale just doesn't become a 40% three point shooter next season the way Jalen Brown did, and then like plays is more versatile on defense on paper. Like Marcus Smart is basically a power forward born in a shooting guard's body, and he's very physical. And Ojale is not going to have the same mindset as him, probably, but it's like. If he learns what the fuck he's doing and you figure it out and you can play him and he's not a negative on offense and he can have a little other little other elements to his game. He can dribble like twice. If he can more consistent from three, like why wouldn't he just step in and take that role? If I'm Danny Ainge, I say, if you think I'm going higher than 14, you're out of your damn mind. And if you get higher than 14, you want to go get it, get that money. I understand. Ojale, next man up. Facts. Facts. Because they're going to have more ball handlers. You take out Smart, you put Hayward back in, he starts playing better. He can play the two. He can handle it. Like, you're telling me Brown's not going to get better at his handle. Tatum's not going to get better at his handle. I'm really not concerned about Marcus Smart. Like, he's a great dude to have on your team. He's one of those guys. Love him when he's there. Hate him when you're playing against him. But that's not worth all the money in the world. I agree. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, you're right. Like you said, you want him. But at your price, not his price. That's a good point. Right. All right. Well, we've come to the point now in the Sports Blog New York podcast, NBA Outsiders Edition, with John Lucas Duffy, Frank Villani, and myself, Pete Kennedy, where we have to make our predictions. Our, I'm sure, very different, very bold, very exciting predictions about this finals that everybody just has never seen and has no idea what's going to happen. So, Duff, why don't you give us your super bold, awesome prediction about the Warriors versus the Cavs round four? Sweep. Sweep. Just sweep for the Warriors all day, all night. Four? And Not even a gentleman's? No. And the only way they get to a gentleman's, like, I could see it happening, but the Warriors would have to, like, I, I could see it being the way it was uh, last year, where they go up, like, 3-0, and then they basically mentally check out, and everyone on the Cavaliers comes out like a house on fire because LeBron tells them if you – don't make any shot. If you make some shots this game, like you better, or I'm cutting your ass out of the whole damn league, let alone my team. So that's the only way I could see them stealing a game is if the Warriors literally walk out on the court, just like on Ambien and are half asleep. <laughs> they put Ambien in the water cooler. Wait, yes, that's how they get them. That's the only way. That's it. Strong take. I was way bolder than I expected, actually. I was being sarcastic, but you, you really hammered it home for me. Yeah. It's sad. It's the way it is. This was a great season. I had so much fun. It's it's just a little disappointing that it's Cavs Warriors 4. And, uh, it's just 
it is what it's going to be. It's going to be a bloodbath. For sure. Uh, Damn, I made Frank up. sad as hell. I'm sorry, Frank. <laughs> no, no. I'm sorry, I feel like I just told Frank Santa's not real. <laughs> I mean, that happened the other night when you know, both teams decided they didn't want to, you know, supplant the uh, defending conference champion. That's when I really felt the disappointment. But I'm gonna say Warriors in five, and the one game the Cavs win, LeBron's and drop like fucking sixty-five. And that's it. That's, my, that's yeah. it. That's Which game? Give, give me, give me a game. Game three, first game in Cleveland. Okay, I'm gonna let Cleveland know why he. The most famous uh, Ohioan ever. Of all is that, time. Is, is that is that is that correct English? Ohioan, Ohioan. It depends where you're Buckeye. from. Buckeye, just say Buckeye. Uh, yeah, the most powerful Buckeye to ever buck. <laughs> it depends where you're from on how you say it, I guess. But I think we, I think you get your point across. Um, so, is there a world where Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith? have good shooting nights on the same night? Like, is there a world where that exists? Yeah, there's a world where that exists, but if Kyle Korver is on the court where his offense is going to be that much significant, his defense is going to get absolutely torched by Steph Curry and Kevin Durant because they're just going to run a pick and switch and Korver's going to have to guard someone and he's going to get lit up like Ryan Anderson did. It's it's going to be no different. Oof. Like, he, Kyle Korver... Th- th- saw like some defensive flashes when Jalen Brown tried to post him up and then he, you know, he blocked him. He had like a couple blocks in one game. He's not doing that to Kevin Durant. <laughs> no. And he's not, he's not standing in front of Steph Curry. The The Warriors are minus a thousand to win the series. Like unbelievable. I think it's actually like minus 900. No, and then it's, in, in it's game one, they're minus 12 and a half to win in a finals game. Minus 12 and a half money lines minus a thousand. Wow. Yeah, they are That's no. It, it, they are minus a thousand for the series. That's but correct. if if this was a year where the Vegas spreads taught us anything, it's that they're a bunch of fucking liars, and Philly should have won. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, oh my god, crazy how much we jumped on the Philly bandwagon. So I'm going to say this: Warriors in six. Nah, I'm just saying that for the sake of saying it. It's Warriors in five. It's Warriors in five. LeBron wins one. And that's it. That's There's nothing else to it, and it sucks because I've been sitting in front of this freaking microphone for, I think, Frank, I think we did the the first, or the, no, was it the second one? With the second time the Cavs and Warriors were in the finals, Frank, you and I and your freaking brother Sal, who yes. had, was just home from work one day, I had, just, <laughs> I had just graduated college, I didn't have a job yet, we sat here and previewed the NBA Finals two years ago, and... Like that was the year the Cavs actually won, and I I picked the Warriors, and people were already complaining about oh Warriors and Cavs again. It's gonna be like this for the next couple of years, and they happen to be right. And I've sat in front of this mic and defended the NBA to like probably to too far too, too far of a degree. And at this point, sitting in front of this finals, previewing it the best I possibly can, I can't in my right mind imagine a way that the Cavs win more than two games. Like, if they bring this series to six, that'll be amazing. It'll be so impressive. It'll be, in, like, one of the best feats of LeBron James's career, and that's insane to say out loud. But there's no way the Warriors should lose. That being said, I'm just going to... This is basically me just hedging on myself because I just said some crazy stuff. Like, anything could happen in the finals? Like, I don't know. Like, can Draymond Green kick LeBron in the balls again? Like... <laughs> possibly can Iguodala not come back 
possibly like is is there even like well, give me a percent give me a percent chance where something crazy happens where either Draymond gets suspended or Iguodala doesn't come back the Warriors are turning the ball over 20 times a game does that world exist and if so what are the percent chance of that happening I mean six, is he gets suspended 6.9 percent is he gonna get nice. suspended for six games after game one like I don't yeah. I don't know, man. Like they can I win. They can, say he gets suspended for two games. Like at worst, the Warriors split those. There's no yeah. way the Cavs are taking. Both. I mean, Pete, you said before. Like, is there a world where Jr. and Corver get hot at the same time? Yeah, there probably is. There's also probably a world where like all five of the Warriors starters get hurt in the same fall on the court. You know. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So that's, just... that's how I feel. This. That's the only way the Cavs have a chance. Is somehow like. Kevin Durant falls on Curry's leg, and then Curry falls on Clay's leg, and then Clay falls on Draymond's leg. <laughs> <laughs> and then Zaza. And then we, got, and then we have a whole new series on our hands. We might have to record a new pod if something like that happens. You know? Yeah, short of the team bus breaking down, and then they just can't make it, and the refs are like, "Fuck it, we're starting." Short of that, I don't see. Uh, I don't see. Do we see? Like, I, wait, do we see Zaza in the series though? I hope not. Piece of shit. Probably in garbage time. <laughs> You know what? When the Warriors are up by a billion. All this being said, and like I agree, like I said, I'm trying to figure out ways to be rational and also say the Cavs have a chance because I, I want them to have a chance. I want this to be competitive. God forbid, if there is this realm where the Cavs can play well and steal some games or do something crazy, LeBron just goes absolutely bonkers. The amount of retweets from old takes exposed, from freezing cold takes, will be absolutely insane because i do you, can you guys think of one person because i cannot think of one person off the top of my head who's actually picking the Cavs. i hear people on the radio on talk shows on whatever saying oh you know don't count out lebron to make this a series or to make this a little closer than you expected but no one's even no one's balls are big enough to say lebron james is going to win this series They're, like have you, heard one person? have you heard one person i can't think of anybody the only person I can think that would say it right now is probably Nick Wright. Did you watch Undisputed yes. this morning? Oh, shit. Nah. Did, did Shannon say it? Shannon or Nick Wright. It has, that has to be it, right? If those yeah. guys don't say it, Nobody no one will it. say it. Yeah. No one with a functioning brain will say it. <sighs> it's, do you it's think, what, what do you think LeBron like, This is just right like now. disparity. Like This was all season I was saying it, and you guys gave me a lot of pushback on it, specifically Frank. The difference between the East and the West. So the, the Cavaliers, are they've proven themselves to be the best team in the East. They went through, like, there there are really no upsets of, like, worst team beating of the better team in a seven-game series in the history of the league. They're very sparse, like 2016 maybe, but that was, you know, Draymond gets suspended and Curry gets in foul trouble and... All the thing, all the stars kind of fell into line. And Curry was banged up, so I, I I just think this was the best team available in the East going against the best team available in the West. So I this was it. This these are the two best teams from each conference. This is it. 
So it's like, the same yeah. thing we've been saying. You know, when people complained last year about the Cavs and Warriors facing off yet again, my defense was, well, what did you want to see? An inferior matchup? This is the best possibility to have a competitive series. And it wasn't that competitive. And Duff, you might be right. This might be the best possible chance for a competitive series yet again. Because realistically, there ain't a team in the East who are better than the Houston Rockets, even without Chris Paul. Even without Chris Paul, I'd take the Rockets over any team in the East. And also, like you just said, it's the top two teams in the West that make the difference. Are the Pelicans that much better than the Bucks, who are the eighth seed? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Are they that much better? Mm, uh, maybe they'd win the series, but like, I don't think. It's, yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It's not like it's gonna be sweep. Yeah, exactly. The the Bucks took the Celtics, who were a game away from the finals, to seven as well, which we so Fair. quickly yep. forget. Good point. So it. This might still be the most competitive series we had a chance at. So, Duff, you might be right. If if Hay- if uh, Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving are not hurt, the Celtics win last round. They, they they win in the East Conference Finals, and then we really get like the two best teams. Like, I don't know if they would be good enough to beat the Warriors, but at least it would be different. It would be fresh. It would be better than this Cavaliers team. This is just product of some injuries and LeBron James being fucking amazing and everyone seemingly wanting to move out West instead of going East to try to balance it and give themselves a better chance. I mean, is it real? Is it a product of the, the players who are so scared of LeBron that they would rather go against the Warriors? They would rather shift West. Now, a couple guys like Paul George and uh, Carmelo were traded, but it's, it's interesting to me that, Chris Paul, I mean, he couldn't have seen he couldn't have seen the Sixers coming, but that would have been an interesting team to have him on. Oh, had he had he had he known? Well, I know we have the finals to look forward to, and even though some people are you know saying they're not going to watch, I expect a lot of people to be watching this game. I know I'll be locked in. I know you two will be locked in. So we'll be here, you know, moving forward. We're gonna be talking about the NBA finals because. I don't care what you say, if you think it's boring or not. I'm still interested. I'm still watching. I still want to know what happens. I still want to see how it plays out. So we'll see what happens starting on Thursday night. But before we go, guys, when we talk about the NBA Finals, we also talk about what's next to come for all these different franchises. And what's just around the corner, we're about to be in the month of which this great, great event resides. That's the NBA Draft. We're less than, we're less than a month away now. So real quick. Not too much time, maybe five minutes more of this podcast here. Who is your guy's number one pick at this point? Duff, let's start with you. My number one pick is Luka Doncic, and I know a lot of people love DeAndre Ayton out there, and I don't disagree that he's a great talent. I mean, it's obvious he's a great talent, but great talents don't always transfer to great players. And you look at the 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 center the center position now, it would give me great pause to take anyone who plays that position in the top five of any draft from here until we start to see these unicorns really make a serious impact and what the game has become. Because there were certain points in the Celtics uh, Sixers series where you could see Joel Embiid, it was just better for the Sixers if he was on the bench and the war. And the Celtics wanted him to just keep posting. Take your twos, especially in game one. And I don't want to roll the dice on someone like DeAndre Ayton, who has not convinced me of anything on the defensive end, who 
says he he compares himself to Kevin Garnett, but all you hear from when his practice sessions are he likes to goof off and bullshit around. Like Kevin Garnett would punch him right in the face if he tried to pull some bullshit like that on his team because Kevin Garnett is a psycho. I don't think, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, he's competitively a psycho. He's, he, I don't think he's a bad person, but I don't want to roll the dice on a center. Look, in in the conference finals, who was the best center in the conference finals? Clint Capella. Okay. Pete, who do you think the best center in the conference finals was? Clint Capella. I mean, unless you're going to say okay. Draymond Green. I don't, I don't know if I would really consider him a center. So I thought that was it, going to be your like, when you look at it, it's Clint Capella, it's like Draymond Green, it's Al Horford, it's Tristan Thompson. Are any of those guys in the conversation for top five centers in the league? No. Um, Al Horford got some all all NBA votes. He got a, like a, a, a in the in the context of, of what he does for a team, yes. But in the yeah. context of just talent wise, right? Because he's not a prototypical center. He's more of like right. a point center of sorts, right? And he's just perfect for that system. He does all the dirty work. He he's not putting up fifty point games like Carl Towns or or Anthony Davis doing some crazy shit like that. So until I see, we we have like an all time generational talent pool of centers in the league already, which a lot of them are very young, to be fair. But it hasn't translated into much of anything in recent years. So why yeah, would I? Did anything with it was the Sixers, right? But their best player was really Ben Simmons handling the ball and orchestrating the offense. And the shooters were taking the majority of those shots, guys like J.J. Redick and Marco Bellinelli. So I look at this draft and I'd say, don't miss on Luka Doncic. And I would have I would take Michael Porter before I take a center because you got to build from the outside in at this point. At this point, the way basketball is being played. And how many – there were like 10 teams who shot over 2,500, three – threes and like 20 years ago they were shooting 500 threes a season it was like completely ridiculous so from the outside in just take Luka Doncic I got you I like I like where your head's at you've been actually swaying me on that opinion before I give my uh, first pick Frank who you got number one I'm not gonna lie this is probably a topic where I am least well versed is in you know the guys coming up to the draft right now but personally uh, I watched a little bit of the EuroLeague finals in like YouTube clips and, and things of that nature. And I don't see how Luka Doncic isn't the number one pick. He's got the best resume of all the guys there. He, I know he plays over in Europe, which I guess sometimes gets stigma, but that guy's a baller from everything I've seen. He's, he looks like five tool. I know that's like a baseball term, but he looks like a five tool kind of guy. He could do it all. Um, I mean, I I happen to agree with Duff. I think he's a home run, and I think if you if you if you miss that chance, people will let your franchise know about it for years and years to come. Yeah, it, it gets it gets really tough with this draft specifically because the more and more that I agree with Duff's train of thought and think, and I, I've been a proponent of this as well. You know, people say call this a point guard league. People call the NBA a point guard league all the time. I personally don't see it as such. I think it's about dynamic wings who can switch on defense and handle the ball, do a little bit of everything on offense. If you think about the best players in the league, outside of Steph Curry, who's probably top five on most people's lists, I think everybody else is a wing. I mean, it's LeBron, 
it's Kevin Durant, it's Kawhi Leonard when he's healthy, who sneaks up on that list is the Jimmy Butlers of the world, the Paul Georges of the world, the people James Harden, Harden. James Harden, yeah, Giannis, who's a, he's he's a point forward, but he's a big wing who affects the game in so many ways. And then when I look at this draft, it's Doncic, it's Michael Porter Jr. who has his own question marks, and then it's all these bigs: it's Jaron Jackson, it's Mar- Marvin Bagley, it's uh, Mo Bamba and DeAndre Ayton. And it becomes really tough. It's like those guys are probably the more surefire prospects than Michael Porter because of this injury and his inability to seem locked in on defense or handle the ball too well. So it becomes really tough. And that's why my, my I don't know if it's a default answer or if it's just the obvious answer, but it's Luka Doncic. It's been Luka Doncic for years. He's been tracked since he's like 15 years old as a basketball player, a professional basketball player uh, nonetheless. He does it all. He's a playmaker. He's a, a big wing. He has a shot that will only get better as his career progresses. And he could be able to switch on defense. I mean, he mo- may not be the best defender, but if he gets stuck on a four, he can hang. If he gets uh, on a small forward, he can hang. Switch on to a two, he should be big enough to at least body this guy up if he tries to drive on him. Luka Doncic, number one pick for me as well. Man, we're... we're uh... Resting the NBA outsider's reputation on Doncic going one, huh? Yeah, maybe maybe bad. Well, not necessarily that he'll go one, but that he should. Like, yeah, yeah. it so would we, be cool right. to We're see. All in on It'd be cool to see Aiton and Booker running like a pick and roll. But I mean, what are you trying to do with your franchise? Some of these small market teams, they just say, "Hey, we want to be competitive. We want fans engaged. We want them buying seats. We want them buying merch. We want to make some money." Okay, if you're the Hawks, you're the Kings, you're the Suns. You know, Mavs, you, you look at that and you say, hey, we just want bodies in the building. And you might just go with Aiton because it's a better fit and it'll make things work out right now. But long run, if you're trying to win a championship, you're trying to go deep in the playoffs, you're trying to make some serious moves. If I'm the Suns, I draft Doncic, I sign Capella, and I figure out the rest later. What about, I know this is supposed to be the end, but one more thing. What do you guys think about those uh, very weird Carl Anthony Town not happy in Minnesota and end of the day, it's on Minnesota to make the decision to trade him, and they'd be damn crazy to trade him. But they might be. Crazy. That would be ridiculous. Yeah, and that all stemmed from Windhorse just being like, "Yeah, I heard things." He didn't even. I don't even know if he specifically said Towns and the Minnesota. I think he just said things in Minnesota aren't great, and he's like, "I have nothing to base." He made this whole disclaimer. He's like, "I have nothing to base this off of," and he's on the low post. But what if they traded Towns to? I forget, maybe it was Phoenix that they were talking about for like the number one pick and Josh Jackson or something like that. And that's really not the one you want to move. You want to move Wiggins or you want to move Jimmy Butler on the last. If you package those two together, you get some out of it. I don't know, because I think they just accelerated this this process too quickly by getting Tibbs and just letting him run the show and basically trying to put this team into hyperdrive before they were really ready. And their young cornerstones really developed and grew into their own. You just... Mm. Tibbs, Tibbs fucked that whole thing up. <laughs> we couldn't get, a, couldn't get a pot in without some Tibbs hate. Well, anyways, guys, great conversation <laughs> Put today. it on the board. Great, great <laughs> talks with my guys, Frank and Duff. I'm Pete Kennedy, man. Good stuff. Duff, you have any last words for the pod today? Fuck Tibbs. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, any last words for the pod today? Uh, it's good to be back. It's a good to talk some ball with my guys. And uh, my last words are shout out Bab, the fourth member technically of the NBA mm-hmm. Outsiders. If you know Pete, Frank, Duff, and Bab, you've been riding with the NBA Outsiders on the Sports Blog New York podcast since day one. 
Babs out in Yellowstone Natural uh nat- Natural Park National Park. Yellowstone <laughs> it is a Natural Park too, you know. That is true. He's out in Yellowstone <laughs> National Park doing really cool nature things and sending us cool Snapchats when he gets signal every once in a while. So if if like he said, if it doesn't take forty years to download this podcast, he'll be listening to it. So shout out Bab, the fourth NBA outsider, doing something way cooler than we're doing, which is sitting in our rooms respectively, talking about basketball while he's probably out, <laughs> you know, catching fish and doing really cool nature stuff. <laughs> Largemouth bass with a dip in on a boat in the middle of a lake. Yes, exactly. Shout right. out, Bab. All right. Shout out, Bab. This is Sports Block New York Podcast. If you're still with us now, thank you guys so much for listening. An hour and 20 minutes in. That means you must like us, I think. So why don't you click on iTunes or Apple Podcast app and rate and review this fine program. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear from you. It means the world to us that you're here listening to us. Uh, we're going to be here with you for the rest of the NBA Finals, through the NBA Draft. We also got some baseball stuff coming up in the near future. A lot of fun, a lot of sports. That's what it's all about. So thank you guys for listening, and you all have a great day.